Last week, I told the story of, during the same time period in the fall of 1979, losing one of my best friends and starting a relationship with a wonderful young woman named Debbie. This week, the story continues. Hi there, this is Gary Fisher, the Senior Geek, with episode 14 of Adventures in Social Anxiety. As I mentioned last week, the serious injury and eventual death of one of my closest friends led directly to my relationship with a delightful young woman named Deborah Radlow. Much to the surprise of both of us, we appeared to be the perfect couple. She laughed at my corny jokes. She made me laugh. I can't stress how much our ability to laugh with each other strengthened our relationship. The road was not completely smooth. At the time, I had no filters and would usually blurt out whatever idiotic thoughts my inner voice provided. Inner voice, you ask? The voice in your head that's saying right now, what's he talking about? I don't have an inner voice. That voice. It is not your friend. And my inability to filter it got me into a lot of trouble more than once. I came close to sabotaging our budding relationship more than once. Michael Singer calls this voice the world's worst roommate in his book, The Untethered Soul. It never shuts up. It almost never has anything complimentary to say about you and other people in your life. I can think of several times it helped me back in my career when I blurted something out at the wrong time to the wrong person. Since my late 20s, my entire life has been about remembering that this voice is not me. I'm the being that can take a step back, watch and listen to the inner voice, and when things are going well, laugh at what it has to say. Again with the laughter. For me, the ability to laugh at or with myself is a major key to my mental health. I'm better at this after seven decades on this planet, but I still suck at it. Anyway, somehow or other, I managed to avoid driving Debbie away. We decided to become an exclusive couple about a month into the relationship. Then a strange thing happened. Within 24 hours of our pledge of exclusivity, I had not one but two very attractive young women ask me out. I was flabbergasted and momentarily tempted. I mean, these women were extremely attractive, but I declined. My hypothesis is that previously I had, on some level, always projected a sense of desperation around women that they sensed, consciously or not. Now that I was in a committed relationship, the desperation had evaporated and women found that attractive. Damn! A couple of months into our relationship, the Christmas season was upon us. Debbie traditionally held a huge Christmas party. No biggie, I thought. A case of beer, a couple of jugs of wine, and a few bags of chips, and we're set. Turned out not to be the case. Debbie baked continuously for about two weeks before the party, and on the day of, she started working on this elaborate recipe for eggnog. The idea of a recipe for eggnog was a novel idea to me. I thought it came in a carton. Worse, I was expected to help. This is not what I thought I'd signed up for. But Deb felt she had a reputation to uphold, and so I did what she asked. I was probably a real jerk about it. Again, I still had a lot of growing up to do. The party was a roaring success. It's amazing how many people you can jam into a small two-bedroom apartment if everybody likes each other. One of the guests sat down at Deb's piano and played holiday music for most of the night. Most of the other guests gathered around and sang. I found out later that this was a tradition at Deb's Christmas parties. Deb drove up to San Jose to spend Christmas with her parents. She had already met my family down in Orange County. I had started to feel like the only reason I was welcome at family gatherings was because I brought Deb along. So, 
On December 26, 1979, I took my very first airplane ride. I flew to San Jose to meet Deb's parents. I had a one-way ticket. Deb and I would drive home together after New Year's Day. I was extremely nervous. I was aware that I had filter issues and I was afraid I'd do something stupid like introducing myself to her father as the guy who's sleeping with your daughter. I didn't do that. Walt and Mary thought I was great. I did everything I could to keep them from finding out what a jerk I actually was. During the week we were there, Deb and I visited with her old friends and did some sightseeing. I don't remember this, but Deb says that while we were driving somewhere, I said, I think I should ask you to marry me. She said something along the lines of, you'll get around to it. I think it was the very next day, we were getting together with an old boyfriend of Deb's and his wife for dinner. During the day, we visited a local winery. After that, we stopped for lunch at a Coco's. I think it was a Coco's. After we ordered, I turned to Deb and said, want to get married? She said, have you thought about this? Yes, I answered. Then the waiter showed up with two glasses of water and he started methodically arranging napkins, cutlery, condiments, a herd of very small sheep, and a detailed diorama of the Battle of Gettysburg on our table. At least that's what it felt like. When he finally left, she said, yes, and we kissed. Then we talked about setting the date. I had always promised myself, and I don't know why, that I'd be engaged to a woman for at least a year before I married her. I think I read something like that in Jurabi or something. So I suggested the following December or January. Deb didn't want to wait that long. So we decided on sometime in June the precise date to be determined. Then she said, who's going to handle the finances? I barely had the words, I hate that stuff, out of my mouth when she said, good. I like to know what's going on. I wanted no more than two children. She wanted at least four. We tabled that discussion for later. Hint, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Not even ten minutes into our engagement, and we had the basic outline of our life together settled. That evening, due to time constraints when her dad got home from work, we decided to postpone telling Debbie's parents until after our dinner with Mike and Sylvia Halloran that night. So they were the first ones to learn we were getting married. I mean, there was no way we were going to keep that to ourselves. They seemed delighted that Deb was marrying some dork from L.A. We've been very good friends ever since. After dinner, we sat down to talk with Mary and Walt. Mary was talking a mile a minute. She seemed kind of nervous. And Deb interrupted her to say, We're getting married! Walt heard her, but Mary kept on talking. With a little smile on his face, he let her go on for about 15 seconds. Then he touched her on the knee and said, Did you hear what your daughter just said? Deb repeated herself, and the next thing I know, I'm being enveloped in a hug by Mary. And Deb and Walt are hugging each other. Then I called my parents to let them know. Dad's reaction was, I wondered when you'd come to your senses. Mom cried. This seems like a good place to stop for this week. I was thinking that this would be the next to last episode in Adventures in Social Anxiety, but I find I have more to say. This is episode 14. I'm thinking, at the moment, of wrapping things up with episode 20. We'll see. Beedee, 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 beedee. Spoiler alert, in a future episode I plan on discussing some difficulties I had around my 50th birthday. I'll save the details for that episode. The upshot is that for the last 20 years I've been taking anti-anxiety, antidepressant meds. Since I retired two years ago, my psychiatrist and I have been working on reducing the dosages. The biggest source of stress was my old job. I was hoping I could eventually go drug-free for anxiety and depression. This does not appear to be in the cards. 
About two weeks ago, I met with my psychiatrist and we decided to see how I'd do with a marginally lower dose of clonazepam, clonopin. So instead of taking one half milligram pill nightly before bed, I am now alternating between 0.5 milligram on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and 0.25 milligrams, half a pill, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My plan was, and currently still is, to keep that regimen for about a month, then switch the 0.25 milligram to four days a week, alternating with the 0.5 milligram the other three. However, yesterday, there were a couple of disturbing events. Yesterday morning, I was extremely angry on hearing of a second mass shooting in Ohio less than 24 hours after the recent shooting at a Walmart in Texas. I immediately jumped on Instagram and posted some very ill-advised comments. They also went to Twitter and Facebook. Later, at work, partway through my shift, I was called into the office. A fellow worker had seen my posts and was concerned about what I'd said, and they wanted to make sure I was okay. Most of you know where I work. It's not that hard to find out. This company has to be very careful about who they allow on the premises. I assured them that I was fine and volunteered to use my phone to delete the posts right there. They said it wasn't necessary, but they seemed relieved when I went ahead and deleted the posts anyway. Currently, I don't know if the rage I felt is related to the lower med dose, or it was just an ill-advised knee-jerk reaction to an issue that tends to trigger a lot of anger for me. I'm usually very conscious that my public and online behavior can reflect negatively on the company I work for. I'm even a better driver these days because I have both a sticker and a license plate frame bragging about where I work. Know that I will be watching myself very carefully over the next few weeks. I'll also ask Deb and Amanda and some trusted co-workers to let me know if I'm behaving differently. If I have to, I'll adjust my dosage back up but I'd really like to try to keep it down, if at all possible. That's almost it for this week. Beedy, 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 beedy. If you haven't read The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, I highly recommend it. It's not the first time I've been exposed to the concepts in the book, but the way he discusses them speaks to me. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. Finally, I'll leave you with a quote from somebody named Kevin Alcoin. Kevin spelled with a Y. Today I choose life. Every morning when I wake up, I can choose joy, happiness, negativity, pain. To feel the freedom that comes from being able to continue to make mistakes and choices. Today I choose to feel life. Not deny my humanity, but to embrace it. Hmm. Just goes to show you can find inspiration anywhere, even from somebody with a weirdly spelled name who apparently sells women's makeup online. Okay, shutting up now. Hey there. I'd like to ask a little favor. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on whatever app or site you use to listen to it. This will help to get it out there to more people. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. Just search for Senior Geek 49. That's S E N I O R G E E K 49. All run together in one word.
my hypothesis. <laughs> my hypothesis. My hypothesis. All right. My hypothesis is that previously I had, on some level, always projected a sense of desperation around women, and they, sense consciously or not. Wait, that makes no sense. My hypothesis is that... I'll, I can get through this. My hypothesis... My hypothesis is that previously I had, on some level, always projected a sense of desperation around women, that they... There shouldn't be a comma there. Hang on. All right, so the comma should be there. All right, let's try this again. <laughs> 